0: Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerability Veer Podcast. I'm Adam Blinsky. I'm Albert Imperado, Where we help men communicate and build empathy. All right, Albert, here we go again. We are back for another installment. Uh, we are all jazzed up this morning. I think we all uh, got a little extra sleep, ate some, ate some good food. You know, hung out with our friends this weekend, so I think we're all recharged and, and ready to go. But. Uh, you told me quite an adventure uh, happened to you in this past week, so I just kind of want to start off with your uh, Thanksgiving Day and, and how that went for you.
1: My my Thanksgiving Day, oh yeah, I know what you're talking <laughs> about the, the crazy logistical challenges yeah. we faced. Yes, we have. My in-laws live near Lake George, and that's um, about an hour and a half to two hours, depending on on how much we speed. A drive from our house, <laughs> and my father, my father-in-law, is one of the most blessed and beautiful human beings on the planet. I've never met a more grateful, uh, just warm and loving human being. I've, I've never seen a person so revel in family life like he does. He's got the six kids, and um, Brian's mom passed away two years ago, and so she passed away right at Thanksgiving time. Actually, so this this Thanksgiving was was very, you know, it was very emotional for for many reasons. But his dad is is you know he's totally fine mentally. He's a little bit uh, you know physically uh, not not at his very best. So uh, he can't make it down to our house, which is where we used to th- do the Thanksgiving get-togethers. So instead, um, we made the meal at our house for um, I think it was about twenty people and transported it uh, up to Lake George our, and our and we're not caterers. Let me tell you, <laughs> yeah, this was. This was crazy. Now, Brian doesn't really cook year around the year. I cook every day, but he cooks for Thanksgiving. It's like the one meal that he does. He took it on so that his mom could take a break from cooking for so many people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's the six kids, all their kids, the grandchildren. It's a very, very large family. So, I mean, it was incredible. Our car was completely stuffed. It was There was no, you couldn't put like a jar of cranberry sauce in, in it <laughs> after we had loaded it all. We were like the turkey mobile going off the throughway. <laughs> That's what uh, I was, imagined. <laughs> yeah, the only thing, I did the carving. I've become a good carver. I've looked at the YouTube carving video enough times to actually be able to carve a turkey now without looking. So that was our little logistical thing, um, was just being up there, being with the family, and, and carting all the food back and back and forth. Uh, some people brought stuff. You know, they, His sister brought the mashed potatoes. They baked pies. But we brought those big birds. It was like 30, 30 pounds of turkey, two birds, Dang. Wow. <laughs> when we <laughs> got home like... 24 hours later, we were just like zonked. We were like completely and totally gone. Anyway. So that was us. How about you? Did you guys, did you have a restful Thanksgiving? You, got, you had a lot of family stuff going on and you've yeah. been confronting some, some family stuff with losing, losing someone in your family.
0: So yeah. And like a total inverse to, to what you experienced, we had a very, very small light Thanksgiving um we didn't have any extended family come over so it was just just us and we just kept it really light you know we didn't really go all out so um it was different but you know I think the the not like you know make this day like one of the biggest days of the year and just kind of keep it relaxed and chill I, I think was a was a good move this year um so that was nice and I also got to see, uh, my good friend, Ben Wilson, uh, you've met him as well. So he came into town from, from Brooklyn and I've got to hang out with him. Um, so that was a whole lot of fun and, uh, it's probably something that's a little different than, than your areas is, uh, so the day after Thanksgiving is the first day of hunting season, uh, for us here. So that's like almost as big as a holiday, uh, as everything else. So, uh, whenever on Saturday we went, uh, we went out hiking. And we were seeing all, all the, all the hunters and stuff are saying, Hey, you know, so there was just kind of like a whole nother thing too, is like, you know, there's like a whole Thanksgiving, but our kind of big social event was seeing all the hunters and, you know, kind of talking about them. And, uh, on Monday, we actually have like a Pennsylvania holiday. It's called deer day. Uh, so it's, it's always funny, like telling other people about this. Cause you know, there's like, how country are you? I'm like, we have a holiday for the first day of deer. So, <laughs> oh my God, that's, that's a state holiday uh it, it may be state or maybe local but i mean it, like school has off work has off you know like mondays like you know everyone's going out hunting uh that day and, and this weekend so everyone's trying to get their deer uh well, so I have it's, never, it's a little i've never gone Western hunting
1: <laughs> I, i've never gone hunting but we do have a lot of deer in the hudson valley
0: they're all over the place so have yeah. you actually gone hunting before uh, I have not like actively like gone hunting, but I have filmed my brother and gone with him quite a few times. Uh, it's, it's a social thing. I mean, you go up, you like, you know, depending on, you know, what, what you're, you know, hunting for, you know, blinds or tree stands or just walking through, Hey, just go and hang out and, you know, walk around and, and have fun. That's, that's more enjoyable for me than sitting out in the cold at four in the morning. And you but you're know, hiking during right hunting
1: here. season. Does that mean you're wearing like orange and making oh, sure yeah. people
0: don't like pepper spray you? Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, got to wear your safety orange. Um, I have a cap, um, you know, like a, I have like a watch cap and then I also have like a hat and then I put like some orange on my backpack and just kind of walk around. like yeah, that.
1: My, my luck, I'd get shot right in the ass. It'd be like, boom, <laughs> five minutes out, boom, right in the ass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like he's coming right for us. <laughs>
1: you know, everyone's when I'm jogging, I hear a shot and I'm like, they're either going after a squirrel or they're trying to take me down. And I run really fast at that moment. <laughs>
0: Yeah, luckily it's very posted. There's like certain trails that aren't hiking and there and there are areas. So, you know, after you kind of get familiar with with it, you know where to go and, and where not to go. So it, gunshots I, open
2: up gunshots open up
0: a new gear in us, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole well, it's a whole thing. Yeah.
1: The voice you just heard is our guest who is like chomping at the bit to get going. We are <laughs> chomping at the bit to get going because he's got an absolutely remarkable story. Um, just before we we introduce our guest, um, Adam, uh, you know, last time we had a pretty heavy conversation, anything about yeah. that? Do we need to talk about any of that? Uh, do you want to save that for the future or like, yeah, just let's wondering? save that for
0: the future. I think we got a, got some fun stuff going forward here.
1: Okay. Cause I want to, I want to make sure you're okay. I don't want to just like breeze over big moments in your life. Um, yeah. So anyway, a couple of years ago, I remember just going past this, uh, photo of a, a guy, uh, with his father and his son And it was just a picture of the three of them and they just looked like the happiest group of, of family. Um, just, I'm always touched by a son who appreciates and loves his dad and and loves his kid. And just watch, seeing these three people together, just, it it was like this beautiful sunny vibe to it. And the, the caption was just so loving. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful, what a beautiful, beautiful guy. Um, I've dropped him a note. We, you know, we, we had a couple of exchanges and, uh, for whatever reason, we kind of fell out of touch for a while. Then suddenly, um, couple, couple of years later, it seems like maybe it wasn't that long. I suddenly started seeing these amazing bodybuilding photos, uh, by a guy who had the same name of that guy. I used to see his family pictures, this guy Riyadh. I'm like, how many Riyadhs are there in my feed? Not that many. And sure enough, there he was, uh, from Virginia, uh, now like incredibly buff dude. I, I remember Matt, uh, uh, adam i sent you a picture of our our guest and you were like dude that guy's jacked so yeah <laughs>
0: the
1: but the thing is i mean i i mean great he's in amazing shape and he's he's a really interesting dude but it's really the the captions that really put him in a se- in a new realm for me they were just full of this gratitude and these and these blessings and i thought we should have this guy in the show make the show just about positivity because he just exudes this positivity and you know i so we set up a call, do our pre-interview, and of course, everybody has more of a story than you know. And boy, does he have a story! And and it was a, it's an amazing story. And and this the theme of the story really is overcoming some some serious setbacks and how how we deal with those. And and I just think this guy's um, he's just a tremendously uh, warm, beautiful guy with a great story. And that's it. We just to we want to get that story out there so people could can enjoy. Um, a very, uh, meeting a really, really beautiful person.
0: Riyad Reyes is celebrating his 40th birthday as he was born on November 27th, 1981. Growing up in Richmond, Virginia, Riyadh is a lover of man and beast alike. He is the father of a beautiful four-year-old son named Levi, and Riyadh states that he is the reason behind every decision, move, and thought he has. Riyadh is a former farmer, logger, woodworker, and is currently working as a certified personal trainer based out of Richmond. Riyad shares with us his motto, gratitude is the guide, work hard, and be kind. All right, Riyadh. thank you so much. Welcome to the show.
2: Welcome, welcome. Good morning and greetings and blessings to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Of course, of course. Well, Albert said so many great things about you that I'm I'm so excited to meet you here and uh, I want to hear your story. So, um, I know Albert has has spoken to you a little bit before, but um, it's super cool that you are, you know, uh just a little bit south of us there. And uh you're from Richmond. It's always a, a cool little spot to to go through. Um, I don't know if you know this band. It's called Guar, but they were out of Richmond, <laughs> Virginia. And they're one of my Absolutely. favorite bands. So I oh, just, yeah. you know, I had to throw that out there and just say <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I very much appreciate Absol- that band.
2: Absolutely. Quick, quick, quick little tidbit about Guar. So my dad, yeah. my dad, this is gonna be a little you know, we might come back to this. So my dad is an immigrant. He came here from Lebanon as an 18-year-old. Um, he first came to New York, and from New York found his way in Richmond. He had a small pizza place down in the city called Alpina Pizza. Okay. And, um, you know, you've got to have some age on you to even know about that place. Way before I was born. Um, and anyways, it was right next to a small club that Guar used to play at a lot, uh, all the time. And so yes. somehow, some way, my father became pretty good friends with the guys from Guar because they would come there after the show cuz it was like a late night pizza joint. Um, yeah. and it was you know Guar was small, alpina pizza was non-existent. Uh but somehow <laughs> some way some some you know uh poorly poorly English speaking, you know, foreigner from Lebanon is sitting there breaking bread with Guar uh you know at one, you know, 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning and uh it's just the most unlikely of stories but hey
0: but you know, hey, that's, that's so that's cool! That's, yeah. the yeah. world gets so smaller more, every the more day. the
2: story is pizza is pizza, the ca- pizza always brings people together. <laughs> I can get behind that. I can get behind
0: that. Finally,
2: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> something so yeah, yeah. the entire human now, race
1: can agree on.
2: <laughs> and now they have, now they've actually just recently opened a uh, bar in town, and it's called, um, you know, fittingly enough, Guar Bar.
0: Nice. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: and so so yeah, cool. That's a that's a good that's a good you know. Uh, a solid piece of uh, Richmond history, right there for sure.
0: Right on. Well, I'll have and to go really, and visit really good that. people, mm-hmm. big sports fans too. Oh yeah, I always I go to their shows every time they come here. Last few times, I even got like the VIP tickets to meet them and like. You know, I was like oh, sitting there, awesome. like meeting my heroes and stuff, and I'm like, oh, "I love you, like I want to eat your food, like because the one guy has the, the barbecue joint and stuff." But I'll have to check out the Gore yeah. Bar now as well.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> right, so cool. like a road trip possibility there, Adam. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, yeah.
2: We go shot. We can go to Chaco. I tell you, when y'all come too, yeah. that out. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. My
1: first so pair of Celvis in jeans. Nice before the before the Iron Hearts, but they, my first ones were the Shaco's from Richmond. I think that was another reason why why your account caught my eye. Um, so you now are actually at your parents' house today, right? Well, I'm so
2: my parents have a little country store, um, and like I mentioned to you, the internet uh, the internet. It's like I live in you know Timbuktu or something because there's no internet, <laughs> um, and so if I come up the street, literally a half a mile away, there is internet, and so that's just how it is in the country. It's a trade off. I will trade stars, squirrels, critters, bugs, poison ivy, all that for internet. Trust me, any day of the week it's 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 not it's it's non-negotiable. So you're <laughs> it's, basically so, uh,
1: outside Richmond. You're not quite in Richmond, you're yeah, a little I'm, bit I'm outside. I'm like
2: right between Richmond and Charlottesville pretty much, about halfway between Richmond and Charlottesville. And your parents uh, so have just, a little
1: store. You are actually at a little store there. where do you guys Yeah, sell? they have a little
2: we have a little they have a little country store. Uh it's just basically simple, you know, breakfast and lunch sandwiches and little sort of, you know, heart, you know, basic goods for the house, you know, peanut butter, jelly, uh butter, eggs, milk, things like that.
1: You had me um, at peanut butter. <laughs> trust peanut me, butter.
2: I, if anybody's got a peanut uh, butter addiction, it's me as well. Oh, no. I, I feel like I I, I like sleepwalk eat peanut butter. It's terrible. That's me. Oh, dude, no wonder <laughs> I like you so
1: much. So, so you your dad is from Lebanon, which is probably worth like five podcasts, just because it's a country that's had just so it has so much history, but also a lot of tragedy and a lot of a lot of. Uh, political, political craziness. Um, uh, He came here when he was 18 and your mom is from the Virginia area. Is that how you wound up there? So she's from California. Actually, she was born and raised in um, like Southern California
2: and sort of, uh, you know, to kind of make that simple. She, she, she ended up uh, moving from California to basically um, Northern Virginia, DC area to live with her aunt at the time when she was a young, a young lady. Um, and somehow, some way throughout that experience of her coming from, from California to Virginia and my father coming from North New York to Virginia, they, they were able to meet, you know, um, and sort of, that's like the simple way of how they came, came to know one another.
1: Well, one of the, one of the, distance, most, one of the I'm most sorry, powerful, just, oh, I'm
2: sorry, go ahead. Finish, finish your thing. Uh, I was just going to say from such distant places on the earth, that's, you know, somehow some way they came to, came to know one another here in R- Little Richmond. So kind of cool.
1: Well, very consistent with like the the image I told you caught my eye. Just it was very clear when we when we had our chat last week, just the incredible depth of feeling and reverence that you have for your parents and how much you love them. I mean, was it always a somewhat uh, easy relationship with uh, just a lot of love and uh, with I know it. I know there are some some crazy moments that happen. We're going to get to those for sure. But was it uh, was it growing up where where you were a kid like it felt pretty easy family life. It's that's sort of a loaded it's a,
2: that's a, that's a lot to unpack because in the simplest way I can say the easy part was love. The love came easy. It basically, basically my mom and my dad. So growing up, we, we didn't have a whole lot of, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money. They uh, eventually worked their way up to where things got a little bit more comfortable. Um, But it's, it's always been a scratch, you know, scratching and clawing. Even currently my dad has just got such a, a respectable work ethic um, that you know here it is about a month and a half post pancreatic cancer removal surgery he's back to work full-time in this little country store so it's just it's just ingrained in him and so so a lot of my admiration for the for them comes from not only the love that they that they that they taught taught me and my brother and sister and the love that they showed us but the work ethic and um you know just showing just Really being this wonderful example right in front of my face of the two people that i almost admire the most you know in the world um are showing me this wonderful example of how to love weather weather the storms of of difficult times with the with the with the greater knowledge that knowing of each one of these storms we weather our love will grow um and it's this repetition of weathering of storms that i've observed from you know now forty years that's allowed me to witness the purest love I've ever known. Um, and so how cool it is for me as a son to get to observe that from my parents because I know that's not a luxury afforded to everybody. Um, and so that's something that I, as I grow older, my appreciation and respect and admiration just deepens. Um, and so that part's really cool, but in terms of easy, it's, it was, it's always been a bit of a challenge in terms of like, you know, just, uh, just keeping the just keeping the wheels of life greased you know um so my father worked a lot my mother worked a lot she was a a nurse which was really nice because that provided you know benefits and things like that for my father because he was a small business owner which also helped take care of us you know as a family and me being like the absolute maniac that i am i was in the hospital once or twice a year getting stitches and you know it was just always something um and so yeah i mean uh, you know, in a nutshell, I, 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 uh, the love, the love, uh, it was always easy to observe the love, um, but it didn't necessarily always come easily.
0: It's always, uh, it's always good to, to hear, hear that the love is abundant in, in a family there. It's, uh, you know, it warms my heart every time I hear it. And, uh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to, to just, you know, experience, you know, other families that, that get that, um, you know, a little bit, uh, different than, than what I experienced myself, but, um, you know, it's, 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 everyone has a, a different family and a different kind of family system there. So I'm just curious, like, you know, when you say like love was abundant, like how did your, your family like show you that kind of love? Like, what were those things that like, they did not, not like grand gestures, but just like the little things that like showed you, showed you, like they really cared about you.
2: So they showed us, you know, love in a variety of ways, but Um, anybody that knows me knows my mom shows her love through food for sure, which is, you know, (laughs) what better way to show love? Um, there was, there was always an abundance of food, but no, um, just being, just being, you know, unflinchingly supportive. Um, and like when I was a little kid, I I always just wanted to, I just had a, a, uh, so much energy and some memories that really stand out to me is my mom would take me to like the playground to just run, you know? and and cut loose on the jungle gym and all that sort of stuff. And we, it would turn into a fun little thing where I'd want to time myself and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and so just little things like that. Um, I played a lot of sports, so they were always, my dad was always having to work. So he re- un- unfortunately never, Um, this is the thing about dads is they're, they're always, they're, they're always missing out. You know, they're either working or it's just, it's just the dads do a lot of the, the, the knee work. But um, so he, he was always, he never got to like really experience my sporting events. Cause I was always, we did a lot of travel baseball, I played football, baseball, and basketball uh, pretty regularly all growing up. Um, and which ended up transitioning to more baseball, but just kind of traveling baseball a lot. And my, my mom always just found a way to make it happen. And now knowing what I know as an adult of the sacrifices and the things that they did to make those events possible, um, it just blows me away because I know that it was not easy for them to make that stuff happen, you know, especially with having a couple other kids to take care of. And I, I know that, you know, just the financial um, difficulties of making that happen, but it wasn't, it was something that I've never, ever, that they never made, you know, known. Um, they just were always, always supportive. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that's just one of these things that I will never, ever Lose sight of, or you know, and I'll always be incredibly grateful for. And that's just one, you know, just one small example.
1: You mentioned those three sports. Um, baseball, you said, sort of took things over a bit, and you went off to school in North Carolina, I believe. And if I remember correctly, you said you were a left-handed pitcher, like, and you were clocking like in the low nineties on these pitches. That sounds like major league possibilities in in your future. Was that your thinking, and then I know it changed because of an injury. So tell us where, where you were at when you were in school playing baseball? Was this like, "Hey, I'm going to be a baseball player?": Yeah, I mean, that was
2: kind of kind of you know uh, the ambition and the goal and the dream. Um, I was always a little you know realistic about it because um, you know, to make it to that, to that high level of any of any profession, you know, a, a lot of stuff has to fall in a place just right. Uh, whether it's baseball or, you know, uh, know, any, any other, you know, high caliber professional type of position. Um, And so I had a decent arm, but I know there's been a lot of people with, with good arms and, you know, um, eventually volume, you know, eventually the volume of throwing got the best of me because like I was telling you before, I grew up in that era before pitch count. Um, And so I was, you know, When I played baseball, I would pitch Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you know, and there would be no no bones about it. And it was before, you know, they they started preventing or minimizing breaking balls and things like that. So as a 13, 14 year old, I might be pitching three or four days in a row, throwing a lot of breaking balls, 100 plus pitches each day. So, you know, all that wear and tear finally caught up with me um, in college. And I had to tear my rotator cuff, having arthroscopic surgery um, and the surgery went well and everything lot of rehab um only problem was my arm just was never quite the same post surgery, and I feel like this is i feel like you you know i, I didn't i didn't I didn't feel like a what was me sort of situation. I felt like this is probably fairly common. It's just sort of a roll of the dice when you get this kind of surgery as to how how the body's going to respond um and so what what happened for me as a pitcher um I had what what you know what they'll say is like a lot of movement on my ball. it was a very lively pitch. Um, and for whatever reason, post-surgery, I lost a lot of that, that liveliness to the ball and it lost a lot of its, its, uh, its movement. And so that's one of the things that they, that baseball scouts and, and whatnot really, really like about left-handed pitchers is they just have sort of this un, unexplainable way to, to throw the ball with a movement that righties just don't have. And I, I think it has to do with arm angle and things like that. Um, and the way the ball comes out of our hand, but, um, probably a lot to do with arm angle anyways. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: I guess my angle wasn't right. (laughs) I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. First of all, I'm, I'm a huge baseball fan and anyway, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm amazed by that, but, but what was it like? I mean, you said you didn't feel woe is me that, you know, you, it seemed like you had a certain degree of acceptance that this can happen. I mean, that's an amazing response to me, to an injury of that nature. So, um, uh, what 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 happened? Did you immediately? Obviously, the, I'm just going to guess that the because you were playing sports and because of your injury, that played into your knowing and learning to know so much about your body, which would then become a part of you being a, a trainer and all that stuff. But uh, so you injure yourself. Did you immediately then transfer your energies into another direction? What what happened? Because you 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 mentioned when we chatted last week that you started having an interest in farming and in in, and growing food did that also come up in in college um yeah it did as a matter of fact because i found
2: myself with a lot of downtime um and i wasn't as i wasn't able to be as active as i was accustomed to you know healing post-surgery um and and sort of there was a kind of a uh sort of a, I, I suppose an internal shift happening in in my brain where I started developing interest into agriculture um, a I read a book called the One Straw Revolution um, and that book was really um, really instrumental in sort of opening my eyes up into this world of natural farming natural um, or a- agriculture um, i I'd been sort of gravitating towards natural and whole foods and shopping at co-ops and so on and so forth um and so the, com- it was a sort of like a, a merging of the literature i was reading um and just sort of a natural interest in wanting to be healthier um and so i started sort of romanticizing the idea of of producing food and being able to work on farms and being able to tap into the land because i was really I was starting to read folks like Wendell berry and michael pollan um to name a few, and these these are, you know, kind of agronomists that speak about food really, really beautifully. Um, and so, some of the things that they were reading, uh, I was reading really sort of opened my eyes and made me want to be a part of, you know, to be a, contribu- a contributor to this healthy food system. Um, not only to the food that I want to put in my body, but also the food to be able to produce and supply this food, hopefully for other folks. Um, and so I really, really leaned into that. Uh, post you know shoulder surgery and all that sort of stuff. I did I did get very into working out at that point in my life as well. Once I got back to my health, um, and of course I was in college, so I had access to a rec center. So I was really very very just active, um, and always and really got into working out and took a lot of what I learned, um, you know, from our strength and conditioning coaches and sort of just started applying it to myself and just had you know, I, I just. I think just as, as a fellow who grew up around sports and teams and everything like that, the gym in the rec center was sort of like my happy place. It was sort of, I kind of joke about this a little bit. Um, you know, it is a joke because I am a church goer, but the, 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 the a basketball court is sort of my, my church as well. Um, something about the squeaking of the sneakers and just the movement and the activity, the camaraderie, um, there's something about it that's just very poetic and beautiful to me. And I feel very, very at home and comfortable and at ease in that setting. And so kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of skip a big chunk here, but fast forward to right now um, and the things that led me to where I am now being back in a gym, um, it just feels like I'm back home again. And so it's, it's really, really quite, quite nice. Um, But yeah, you know, getting back into the farming thing, I, I, I finished school in Wilmington and had some friends that worked on farms in Charleston, South Carolina. And so kind of one thing led to the next. And I ended up moving from Wilmington, you know, once I graduated to Charleston and started working on a, a really, really cool organic vegetable production farm um, where we raised produce and raised CSA and did basically sold to um, local restaurants. Cause Charleston has a really, really thriving restaurant scene. And they, uh, a big part of, of the restaurant success, is the fact that they have access to all this wonderful local produce. Um, And they're called Sea Islands down there. So the Sea Islands, they just have a really, really wonderful reputation for really wonderful soil and just growing just beautiful and delicious produce. So we kind of developed a little niche of growing heirloom produce. Um, We raised a lot of hens or, you know, know, egg birds as well. And we also raised heritage hogs, um, things like Tamworth and Berkshire, um, you know, breeds like that that produce a little bit of a tastier, more flavorful meat than your, your more common sort of uh feedlot pig. So, um, yeah, anyway, just getting into food production and wanting to be a part of that, wanting to provide food for the community, um, and really get my hands dirty. Like I said, it was sort of a way to tap into the energy that I have because, you know, I felt like, all right, I've got this fairly healthy body, a lot of energy. Um, and so here, this is a great opportunity to, you know, utilize the, these, um, you know, um, passions, passions. Yeah, exactly. There it is. Boom. And so, yeah, I I started working on the farm down there and, and, you know, it's really, really turned into a wonderful experience. Um, so I worked down there for about four years and ultimately started missing home. I started missing the, the creeks and the streams and the hills, the seasons, the mountains, um, my family, of course, that's really really you know was the the ma- major catalyst was i really really missed my folks um and so i decided to pack up all my farming stuff my tractor loaded everything up in a 26 foot u-haul and drove straight into a blizzard in virginia <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable there was a toyota pickup with a shell with like 30 chickens in the back <laughs> and i literally pulled up to this unbelievable blizzard just thinking like what did i just do <laughs> and, I got stuck in the driveway and thankfully I had a tractor hooked up on a trailer to the U-Haul had to pull the tractor off the trailer in the middle of the snow in the middle of the night, just to get the U-Haul out of the road into the driveway into this little farmhouse. that I was moving to, and I was just, you know, thinking back on that. I was like, Oh boy, here we go again. (laughs) Hey, but it it, it all worked out, you know? So, um, I'm I'm happy for it.
1: Well, in our, in our pre-interview, um, you know this is where we got to that point where you said, "Well, now we have to talk about something that's that's difficult to talk about is what you said to me, and you know, we don't have to go there today, but I have to say it it was a very powerful part of the story, and if you don't mind, <laughs> uh you said that in in addition to growing vegetables, you <laughs> took an interest in growing something else, and uh yeah, c- can we talk about it? Yeah, sure, why not? you know um and so yeah,
2: I I had a little knack for the, for for growing vegetables for sure. I really really enjoy having my hands in the soil. Um and I happen to have been smoking weed since I was a young, uh, you know, more or less a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh you know, for better or worse, everybody's entitled to their opinion. That's just part of my story and um, you know, I own it, you know what I mean? I started smoking pot um, you know, 15, 16, 17, something like that, uh, obviously, you know, on a very small scale. And as I got older, I got to enjoy it more. And again, it sort of does tap, you know, started as a, started off as a, just sort of a teenager sort of recreational type of thing, which is now, it has now turned I still smoke pot, uh, but it has turned into much more of a medicinal sort of healing, um, spiritual thing that allows me to calm down, um, and sort of helps eliminate a lot of anxiety. And some stomach issues that I have, and uh, coincidentally enough, the stomach issues stem from taking a ridiculous amount of ibuprofen while my shoulder was tore up, and so it had it, it, it led to some some stomach ulcers and so on and so forth, which is kind of a whole nother su- subject. Um, but long story short, there is I have a really sensitive stomach, uh, and so a little bit of if I smoke a little bit of pot, it really helps um, sort of remove those, those knots, um, if you will, in my stomach and allows my stomach to just sort of be at ease and, you know, digest the food properly. Um, and, and so, you know, so that was a big part of the, uh, of why you, you know, why I currently smoke pot. Um, so, but anyways, I, 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 like growing things. I end up growing some pot, uh, a fair amount of pot and like anything, life is about numbers. You know, I, I think that, you know, this is, this is, this is the truth. And um, if you do anything enough, good or bad, it will catch up to you. It's, it's just there's no way it can't. You know what I mean? And so, more or less, you know, the, the lesson here is to allow the things that add up to be really, really good, high quality things in our lives that lead us to, to, to our ultimate you know, goals and dreams and visions. However, in this instance, <laughs> um, you know, it, it led me to grow in some pot and um, I got in trouble for it. It did catch up with me. And I ended up doing about three and a half years in our prison system in Virginia, um, Dang. <laughs> which was very, you know, which that was a tough pill to swallow. I'm not going to lie. Uh, however, I knew what I was getting myself into. Um, I knew the, pot- you know, I knew the potential, um, you know, troubles that could come with it. And so I don't blame anybody but myself, of course, you know, um, it was a very difficult part of my life um like I mentioned to you, Albert. you never know how how much you love a hug until you haven't hugged somebody for over three years. you know at that point you'll hug, just give me a column. I don't know <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> just something, but no, I mean you know, just i just i just was it shocked the first time that you told me uh that the first time. Uh, getting into trouble for this—that was three years of incarceration, three and a half years, which is—I it kind of blew my mind. I mean, I—I'm I, not sure if you had any idea beforehand, like, oh, the potential, the potential trouble could be three years. I mean, I figured, yeah, sure, you'd get a fine, you'd get whatever, but I didn't think. I mean, obviously, Virginia's laws must be a little on the strict side, but I just—I mean, when I look at a person like you who so loves uh, nature, moving. Around physical stuff, just the thought of you having any of that curtailed, I can't even imagine. It's not like television, you know. uh, I'm sure being incarcerated is not like what you see on television. Um, I'm just curious, how did you? I mean, I can't even imagine the shock to your system of one day you're just doing your life, and the next day you're confronting what you know what must have been an incredibly just uh, like alarming. Turn of events and and I, I mean, how did you even begin to process it? Ooh,
2: great question. Like it, like like. Oftentimes, when we're faced with these difficult situations, time is our best friend. You know, um, and if I'm being completely honest, so so thinking back on it, the first year I had a lot of resentment, and the first year was was me moving through the process of accepting what I, what I'd gotten myself into. The second year was, okay, we're here. Let's make the most of it. You know, let's settle into this. Let's get strong. Let's get our mind right. Let's help other people, you know, because no matter what, no matter where we are, and this is one of the things that I think helped change my, my, my experiences, no matter where we are in life, we're still alive. It's what we do with where we are that makes the difference. So whether I'm in a you know a hut and you know wherever, or if I'm an igloo in you know Alaska, or if I'm in a, in a prison cell with some twisted dude, we still got to make the most of it, right? I'm here. I'm breathing. I'm living. Like, what is the point of wasting these days based on my environment? And so. So I used that second year to really lean into that um and wanting to help folks there was a lot of people in there that can't hardly read you know things like that so we can st- I can start to help people learn how to read. I can teach them about poetry I can teach them about working out so I got really i really got back into working out um in particular in a body weight sort of style with calisthenics, which still to me to this day is my favorite way to train um because you know as long as you have a little, you know, basically the room, the size of a yoga mat and your body weight, you can be very, very fit. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. Um, and it just comes down to how bad we want to be fit, you know, and how much energy we're willing to put into that. So second year was starting to get into, you know, really just settling into this whole thing and this life that I had to live and wanting to make the most of it and moving past the resentment phase, you know, um, and really starting to accept ownership for what I'd done. And, 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 and in turn wanting to make the most of it third year, kind of same sort of thing, just getting, getting, you know, just trying to make the most of it, make the most of it. Um, and, and the, one of the things, the silver linings, was I was, since I was a low level offender, I was able to go out on like an outside work detail crew. Um, uh, and so I was able to, the, this was basically, uh, about, you know, a year and a half into the whole thing. I was able to get on this outside work crew and that really, really made the time go a whole lot better um, because I felt a little bit more normal. I was able to be productive because you realize as a human, you you know, we're designed to be productive. You know, as well, that's a huge a huge part where we gain um uh, uh um
0: like agency, uh, self worth. Yeah, yeah. self
2: worth, and so on and so forth. Just being productive and being able to see some accumulation of our work at the end of a day or week or a month. Um, and once you, you know, once that's removed and you're just left to be a shell of yourself, you realize how, we realize how important those things are. And again, this is the pro, this is the the whole point of incarceration is to remove these things from us, um, you know, to make us really, really think about what we're doing with our lives. Um, and so, you know, in that, in that regard, uh, it worked.
1: Well, there's a, there's so much to unpack there, but first of all, I just want to say we're we're talking about an issue that is like front and center in our culture, where uh, laws about about marijuana use are completely changing. We I never thought we'd grow up in a country where it would be legal in certain places. I still think it's absurd that it's not legal everywhere, and you know, my prayer is that they'll make it legal everywhere and then go back. To people like you who were incarcerated for it and remove that from your your record. And we could do a whole separate show on that, but I I, I think that, that that's a different kind of conversation. I suspect Adam has a lot to jump in on, but I I, I just wanna add one more thing I wanna say, and then I'll we'll turn it over to Adam. Is just you said that the hardest part last week when we talked, you said the hardest part of it all was your feeling that you had disappointed your, your parents. And that really struck me that, that, I, that, how did they, did they, did they accept and and comfort you? Were they angry? What was their reaction and how did you deal with what came transpired between the two of you?
2: Well, again, this speaks to the kind of folks they are. They were naturally upset, you know, which rightfully so. Um, But that only lasted for, you know the snap of a finger once that once once we established that they were upset and they had every right to be upset it was about okay let's let's work through this together you know um and to me when it comes to uh you know um if there's ever a green flag it's let's get through this together you know what i mean in life so anybody that's in our life that says something like that to us we have to keep them around um because that's 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 the real deal um and so, yeah, I mean, they were they were supportive, um, you know, you know, gritting their teeth, but supportive. You know what I mean? How how often could you
1: see them? Did they come and visit a lot? I mean, yeah, they what, could I don't come. Even know they could come.
2: They could come every weekend. Um, however, again, it's just through the glass and so on and so forth, and you're talking on the little phone. So that part's a little bit like TV. You know, you're talking on the little phone through the glass, and you know, you put your little hand up to the glass and sort of just imagine what it what it what it feels like. And so. You know that's some just just tough stuff. Um, there's no way around it. But they they were they were supportive. Um, you know, and helped me. I'm going to be honest. Um, a lot of people that are incarcerated don't have a support system at all. They don't have a home to go to. They don't have a loved one to come say hi and tell them that they're going to get through it. Um, so me having that, I almost, I almost, I don't want to. It made me feel bad for the folks that didn't have that. Um, not to take away from how grateful I was for having that support system. Um, I just, the way my, the way my mind works, it just, I, I was really, really sad for folks that weren't so fortunate. Um, which is kind of another side note, but
1: I mean, that's just empathy. And you obviously have tremendous empathy and that's, that's really powerful. Adam, I'm sure I could see you just the whole time you were listening to that. I, I couldn't wait to
0: you heard him tell that story. Yeah, it is wild, man. I you know I I got like the the mini blurb of it, but not the full story. So just hearing it was was very impactful. But you know the whole time you were saying it, I was like, man, this guy is rebuilding himself um, while being on the inside. And you like literally built momentum for your life uh, in one of the most adverse situations that someone can go through. So. One, I just have to congratulate you on that. I mean, that's you took a really, really tough situation and you made it the best for yourself. Um, so going forward, and like once you kind of got out, like how did that momentum of you know working on yourself, you know, helping other people uh, translate to you know life life back in you know r- regular society?
2: Yeah. Um, so great question. Um, sort of like I mentioned, to Albert the other day, while I was incarcerated, like I said, I really leaned into physical just, just movement, fitness. That was my, that was my, my happy place. Um, I probably worked out way longer than any human should on any given day, (laughs) but Hey, when you have time, make the most of it. But, um, so when, uh, you know, what what I'm getting at is I studied for all, I got the coursework to become a personal trainer, studied all the coursework and was so excited to get out, take my exam and to just, you know, go, you know, go, you know, feet first into, this, this fitness world, um, huh, reality hit me. Felons don't get hired. Yeah. I was going to say, like, um, did you
0: get a felony? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's tough.
2: so most, the, the difficult thing about it was, 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 you know, the reality hitting me smack in the face of it's going to be difficult to get hired, um, at any sort of corporate gym. And being that I didn't have, you know, a ton of like a, a, this long resume of all these different places I worked, I felt like that was going to be my best option to kind of get my foot in the door. So I still started applying to all these different gyms um, in the area and everybody just pretty much hands down is we don't hire felons, you know, um, regardless of what it is. So, so that's that's a little bit of a difficult thing as to, to to for my mindset that I still have a little bit of a difficult getting my head around is to be lumped into the same category as some, some really, really bad folks out there. Some really tough, some really tough dudes. that have done some really, really, really nasty things to people, but to still be lumped into that, you know, um, it a little bit difficult, but again, not what was me. It's just, it's what I, what it's, it's, that's just, that's how the cookie crumbles. And, and so I have to, uh, I have to, you know, I have to make the most of it. And so that sort of kind of took me back to the drawing board. Um, and I, I'd be, I'd started to cut my teeth on the farm. Doing carpentry, building, helping with pole barns, chicken coops, um, chicken tractors, and, you know, just general maintenance, uh, welding on tractors. I learned how to weld and base, like, basically I learned how to weld in basic carpentry, working on farms. Um, and so I was able to lean into that experience. And I got a job working with one of my good buddies at his local um, custom woodworking shop. And so they do custom um, wood and metal fabrication for a lot of, you know, businesses, offices, and residential folks around the area and so started working there um and that that was a really really wonderful experience i was able to be creative um which is kind of a big part of what makes my my brain go is to have to be able to tap into some creative outlet i have you know that's really really critical for my 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 personal mental health um and i think all of ours for real to be honest with with, with you um um, and so, to be able to be creative in there um, was really wonderful. I was working with wood because we kind of we kind of went over this, or glossed over this a little bit. But when I was younger, I lived in the mountains and worked on a sawmill doing horse logging um, with a really really neat old mountain man in the Appalachian Mountains, and learned a whole lot. And that experience really really impacted in such a positive and profound way um, of just showing what hard work looks like. No matter what the weather, no matter what's going on, um, and just being in tune with nature, um, using being in tune with the animals that are helping us do this, this really difficult and dangerous work. Um, and just being in t- and being part of the process of a log to lumber was a really, really beautiful thing to me. I just love the process of things. Um, and this is kind of a whole other conversation, is I think that's something that is a really, really important thing for us to be engaged with is the process of how, Of how things work whether it's a light switch what happens when i flick that light switch you know follow let's follow that current back to the breaker box and understand it what what makes an engine combust you know what what um you know just these sort of notions and these are the things that make my brain really just tickle my brain i want to know how things
1: work it's also like a a mindfulness basically it's a form it's a a kind of form of mindfulness to not just look at the the, the little, the little thing that you see, but to look behind the things that you say.
2: Sure. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think, I think, you know, it's like anything that becomes a, you know, the more you do it, because becomes the more way life and you just, you find yourself wanting to know a little, you, you want to know everything, you know what I mean? Um, and it's really, really fun. And, and then that opens up this, this magical world of just life and just wanting to, to, to know about how things work and to see in the beauty in the, in the mundane to the, to the most, you know, in your face, amazing type of thing. Um and so let's see so I started so again I was working at the wood shop and you know that was going really really good and everything um but I found myself just constantly well hold on let me rephrase this a little bit everything was going good at the wood shop however covid hit and that it was sort of a catalyst to give me the time and a little bit of space to think about okay you know, Riyadh, you've been thinking about this fitness, being a trainer for a really long time. Now's your opportunity. You got a little bit of time to study this material, get your body back right, because I'd I'd honestly gotten really out of shape when I was working in the woodshop. I had my son um, and I was in a difficult relationship and I, my work environment started to become a little bit more, um, less than positive. I don't want to say toxic because I, I think that's, a little bit extreme, but it wasn't it wasn't the healthiest work environment. Um, you know, and that combined with a little bit of a home life thing, that was really, really a difficult, you know, part of part of my life as well. Um it led me to be to say, hey, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss or not, but it was said it, it was it was a point in time where Riyadh, get your head out of your ass, man. Um, you know, your life's not gonna fix itself, you know. You have to go out and get these things that, you, that you're dreaming of. You have to chase these things that set your soul on fire. They're not, it's not going to just happen. You have to be the spark, man. And so I had done this before. I did it when I was incarcerated. I did it after I tore my arm up. You know, I, I knew what I had to do. It was just a matter of, all right, man, put those blinders on and just put one foot in front of the other and know and trust that if you keep doing it day after day, week after week, month after month, in a year, something is going to be different. And there's just no way. There's just no way around it. Again, going back to the numbers thing, um, it's a daily incremental improvement. It's not about changing the world or hitting a home run. It's just those base hits over and over and over that are going to add up. Um, and so I just started going for base hits, you know, to kind of put this baseball thing on it. Um, and and you know, over time. I started seeing a little bit of a different Riyadh in the mirror. I started feeling a little bit better. I started having, you know, my jaw wasn't clenched as often. Um, Started sleeping a little bit better. Um, And again, just leaning into this notion of health and movement, which now is, something that I believe in so wholeheartedly that I will scream it off of the rooftops to anybody that'll (laughs) listen. (laughs) Movement is medicine. And the things that we, we put into our body is medicine and everything that we consume matters from the, the literature, the food, the television shows, the music, the, the, the people we associate with, um, literally everything we consume factors into the person we are. And some of it is subtle some of it is more obvious but it all accumulates to something um and so now I'm at a point where I'm just I just try to be extremely mindful of everything that I'm consuming um and I wanted to ultimately lead or facilitate the life and the dream that I envision and just just trying to do that one day at a time is is really where I am at the moment um so Let's see i'm sorry if i've i've gotten off track I just no, a little no no there I'm is sorry. there is no
1: off track with you it's all of a piece uh you're amazing i mean i i can't even imagine really honestly anyone so persu- persuasively explaining how their life experience and and their passion come together to to inform who they are and what they're trying to achieve i loved every everything about what you just said uh last week when we talked you said really basically this physical fitness thing is, is your way of sharing love with the world. Uh, you're, and, and I just, I just think that that's a beautiful, a beautiful, uh, way to put it that the idea that love, love is a very broad term. You know, we really, it's one of those weird terms that means everything, but it's very, very hard to actually describe it precisely. And it it is really just about acknowledging all of those things that make us good and healthy. I, um, I want to just mention one other thing you said to me that really just shook me last week. You said that the end of this, this difficult relationship that produced a child that you're clearly uh, that you adore this four-year-old son of yours, that the end of that relationship was harder than three years in prison. Now I just cannot, that really completely shook me.
2: Yeah. Hands down without question, without question.
1: How can that be? What, what was it about the end of that relationship that, hurt so badly i mean not to get into the hurt part but give us perspective
2: on a basic level i love my mom my son's mom with as much as i could love anybody you know um and i don't know i don't know i'm not smart enough to know what happens when you procreate but i can but what i feel like happened with me was we've 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 created this little human and he's beautiful and he's healthy and he's amazing and we're so blessed um and all my brain could see is us there was no it was it was me her and him period you know unless there was more kids of course um and so the difficult thing to, the difficult thing to get my head around and I still haven't got my head around is how come how come it wasn't uh mutual you know what i mean um and kind of like I mentioned, I'm, I'm not here to everybody is entitled to their own thing, um, you know, to their own to their own way of life. But the, the, I, the only way I can make sense of it is that um, it was a it was a it was a, a love story, not a life story. A, a love story. Only requires life versus a love, a life story requires love. And there is a major difference in the two. And so all of our lives are filled with these love these love stories, but we only, if we're lucky, we get one life story. And that's where, that's really where the magic happens. And I, then, I mean, in a way it gives me tingles because I still really, really want that, you know? Um, now the silver lining is obviously we have a beautiful son, but I just, I just, um, yeah, really, really loved, love my son's mom. Um, and it's uh I could always get my head around the the thing that I did to let me get incarcerated. I will never ever forgive myself for whatever I've done to make me have to basically miss half of my son's life. And that's something I don't think I'll ever forgive myself for. You know, I don't don't necessarily want to spend my life beating myself up about it, but it's also something that's a difficult thing to uh, come to terms with because it's something clearly I did, you know? Um, And I'm going to, you know, what, what is done is done. And all that's left to do at this point is to just love the hell out of that little boy with all that I have, um, and show him, just teach him everything that I've learned along the way and show him what love is as best as I know to show it. And, you know, I'm at peace knowing that he's, he is being loved from, from both of us. Um, but again, it's a hard, it's a hard pill for me to swallow because I really only had one dream and one vision you know when you think you're gonna live and die and be buried next to somebody then all of a sudden that doesn't happen it's uh you know difficult
0: beyond shocking
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah shocking as well but you know you know the, the the nice thing about you know like i mentioned before i'm a spiritual man the nice thing about faith is knowing that god doesn't make mistakes you know and what's meant for us will always find us and i really do believe that um, now why did it have to be so difficult? Why <laughs> did it have to hurt? Why did I have to cry so much that I don't know, but you know what? That stuff's in the rearview mirror right now. The sun is shining. I'm on this podcast with these two beautiful men and we're talking about life. And you know, why worry about what's already happened when, when, when I have life right here, right in front of me. And so that's where I put my energy. Um sure I'll use my past experiences and my mistakes to keep to keep me grounded and focused but there's too much too much living to be done to be to be stuck in that sort of mindset you know it's all about forward momentum growth working through these things and just trying to become a better person um and you know sort of the moral of, of all this is no matter what we're going through we all have our various difficulties it's how we, you know, we hear this a lot. It's how we respond to these things. That's really the ultimate difference maker. So we we always have a choice, you know, the choice is to. Um, well, I, I, I like a quote. There's a quote that I like. It says life's like a tree, either growing or dying. And I think that's a very, very nice way of looking at life, because as long as our mentality is is just constantly seeking growth and and, you know ascension of some sort and i don't mean like monetary ascension this is a much more of a mental spiritual type of ascension that i speak of and physical um as long as we're putting energy into those things life's going to be okay you know it's when we start to get comfortable and complacent that um that that you know that's where things start to get a little bit muddy and so we want to keep, we just have to keep the momentum. We have to keep putting one foot in front of the other, no matter, no matter what's going on, no matter how difficult life is. Um, sure there's a lot of nights where oh, I promise you guys between the incarceration and this difficult situation with uh, my son's mom, there's been a lot of tears shed, um, but there's, t- those tears give us strength as well. You know, it's holding back the tears that make that I felt would make me weak, you know, um, and I feel like there's strength into owning these emotions and really leaning into them and, and asking what they're they're here to teach us um, and using those lessons to, to learn and grow and to continue to move forward. And ultimately, I want to learn as much as I can about all these things so I can pass them on to my son. Um, and that's a really beautiful thing about life is this ability to acquire knowledge and then just share it, um, which is a huge part of why I enjoy what I do as a fitness trainer is because I've been in and out of gyms for a long time and trained in a variety of ways from yoga to plyometrics, calisthenics, bodybuilding, you know, functional fitness type of thing. Um, And like I told you the other day, I just don't want to, I don't want to take this, um, you know, this experience is nothing once I'm worm dirt. And so I want to, I want to utilize it now and share what I've learned and help other, ultimately to help other people feel this wonderful feeling of, you know, basically just good health. Because for me, the, the, the physical and mental health are, you know, um, completely symbiotic. Um, if our mental health is going good, then it it will allow us to improve our physical health and vice versa. Um, and I think they work together very, very well. And so to be able to share that with other folks, I can tell you guys, um, softens all the hard edges of my past.
0: Right on. Well, man, that is a a hard situation again. Just you know, facing adversity and then you know finding strength in yourself to overcome it. So i I really appreciate you you sharing this and you know giving us this story because it's very powerful. I I see what Albert was was telling me here. So I thank you so much for for giving us that.
1: I I just got to say, Riyadh. I just can't imagine any circumstance in life where your energy and what you've committed to. Isn't going to result in you achieving any anything that you want to achieve. I think you're going to light the way for a lot of people. I really think, first of all, that you gave me a, uh, an idea just about you know how we need to work and help uh, incarcerated people. You should be giving a regular talk. You should have like the TED talk about your experience uh, in, in with incarceration because I seriously think our our prison system is a is a mess. And I, I really think that you can, you, your voice is just going uh, to, that, that story is just beyond belief. The idea of you helping people and, and read and making the most of that time is just, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, I think there's a, an HBO miniseries here. I think there's... <laughs> Well, like I told you the other day, we, like I told you the other day,
2: one of, I think, of our main duties on this earth is to be our brothers and sisters keeper. We have to, have to, have to look out for one another in this life. I mean, what is life when we if we can't if we can't be there for one another? I mean, that's not a life I want to live.
1: When you when I asked you if you'd come on the podcast, you said that, you know, what kind of man you're not a man if you're not vulnerable, which I absolutely agree and love. I just want to say we want to have you back on the show. I'm I, I see you just I, I want to watch, I want to help, I want to be involved. I mean, one we had that one pre-interview and already. I feel like we're we're longtime friends. I knew Adam would absolutely love getting to know you, and I know everybody listening to this is going to want to get to know you. Uh, your your uh, feed is called Bless Upfit. Is that the yep the name? Right? Yeah, Bless underscore Upfit. And what? where did you come up with Upfit? Is that just like up? Um, as the direction okay, you're so, so this is side no,
2: side note. Side note. Okay. Um, I really uh, have been inspired by Jamaican culture, reggae music the teachings of Marcus Garvey and Eile Selassie. Um, and so these have been big influences in my life. Um, and so in Jamaica, they have their own, a lot of their own slang and their Patois, but a big greeting or, or, or not so much a greeting, well it's a greeting or a departure when you say bless up, you know, you say bless up or lickle more or something like that. But mo- a lot of folks will say bless up. And it's just a nice, to me, it was one of these things that always has always stuck with me. Cause like, again, to, to, as a spiritual man, um, you know, I want to. You know, I want to keep the most high in my brain as often as possible. So, you know, to to say bless up is is my way of saying like give thanks. You know, um, or that's how they see it. it's like to give thanks, bless up, like look up, bless up, and 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 have have gratitude for for the life we have. And so 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 when I was thinking about this name uh, for the fitness page, and um, you know, it just it just sort of made sense. You know, I've just stuck with it, so that that's what it is.
1: Thanks for explaining. I just want to f- finish off by just saying another time. I can't remember if we said at the, at the, the offset, uh, at the onset of the, the podcast, you just turned 40. We just want to say the the, the 40th birthday gift that you gave us was th- an extraordinary story. And I know that we're going to go back and, and want to listen again and just underline and pull all these quotes because I was writing. I wrote like 14 pages of notes uh, uh, listening to you today. God bless you and your son and your family. Um, you're an amazing human being. Um, spending this time with you this morning was just a complete joy. Uh, Adam?
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, again, I just wanna echo what Albert said. It was a pleasure meeting you. Uh, I know there's future conversations down the road. Uh, we definitely wanna want, to, want to have you back on. So um, thanks again. You, you definitely made this this Sunday morning uh, a pleasure here. So just wanna wrap things up for, for our show here today. This has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer Podcast. I'm Adam Blinsky. I'm Albert Imperato.
2: And my name is Riyad Reyes. And thank you, folks. And remember, there is strength and vulnerability, my friends. One perfect love to each and every human being on this beautiful planet.
0: Thank you for listening.